Good morning again. This morning we're going to be taking a look at how love walks among us. This is one of my favorite stories from, the, from Dr. Luke, from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And a friend of mine wrote a book about the compassion of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus called Love Walked Among Us. His name is Paul Miller, and so I'm titling this uh, Love Walks Among Us because the Lord Jesus Christ is alive in the heart of every believer, and the compassion of Jesus that we're going to see in this text today will be lived out in the life of the believer. And I think one of the things that we see in life is that in many ways we are in short supply of kindness and compassion. Maybe you followed this news story about a month or so ago, but our former president, George Bush, and Ellen found themselves sitting next to each other in Jerry Jones's box at a cowboy game. Ellen came under unbelievable hateful attacks from the LGBTQ community and from those who are on the left side of the political spectrum. They were hateful. And she said this a day or two later um, on her TV show. When I say be kind to one another, I don't only mean the people that think the same way that you do, I mean be kind to everyone. Those are profound words. I think she hits it right on the head. Um, we see in Romans, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone. And then we're told, be kind and compassionate to one another. As a Bible church, we believe that the Bible is the holy, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And it alone, with the power of the Holy Spirit, is what transforms a human being and brings us out of darkness and into light. And as you grow in your discipleship of the Lord Jesus, your, your life should take on His countenance, His character. Right? That's our motto of our church, beginning where you are and becoming more like Jesus. If that is true and you are pursuing the Lord Jesus and seek to grow in your discipleship, compassion should mark your character and your conduct. And we're going to see that here in the text today. We're also going to see that the entire gospel is one of compassion, that God had mercy on us. So let's take a look at the text, Luke 7, 11 through 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole area of Judea and all the surrounding country. 
Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we just pray the same way that we see in Acts chapter 2 that on that day that everyone heard the Word and they rejoiced and that it was applied to their lives. And So Lord, we just ask that for you today. That as we look at you and we look at your Scriptures, that it would bring about change in our lives, that we would seek to, to transform our lives to be more like you. And so be with us, bless us, and grow us in your grace. We pray this in your name. Amen. Now, the city of Nain, um, you'll see it if you look real hard. There's a lot of towns up here, but if you see Samaria and go straight north of Samaria, you'll see Nain on uh, the south side of, Ma of Mount Mora. And um, it can be seen from Nazareth. It was nine miles uh, from, from where Jesus was born. You see the Sea of Galilee off to the right. But the other thing with Nain is that it's three miles uh, from Shunem where Elisha raised the son of a woman who'd given him hospitality. And you can see the reference there from 2 Kings. This occurred 800 years prior. And so that's one of the ways that the people of Nain kind of identify themselves and make themselves feel real spiritual. Well, you know, we may be a town of 500 people, but 800 years ago, the prophet was here. Okay, it's that kind of a thing. And so they very closely identified with the prophet and with that resuscitation that took place of the young boy. Now, the city of Nain means pleasant, and the funeral that's taking place is occurring at 6 o'clock at night because that was the custom, and the city was anywhere from three to 500 people. Now, a little bit of background to the miracle here. A few days before, Jesus had healed a centurion up in Capernaum, which was some ways away, maybe 30 miles away. And it says that a large crowd was with Jesus and the disciples. It's thought that that was about 2,000 people coming with Jesus. And so the setting here is that about three to 500 people are coming outside of Nain at the gate. They get just outside the gate, and here comes Jesus and 2,000 people, and they intersect. Here's our main points. I'll put this screen up at the end as well. So as, you're, as, we're, as you have your notes in your bulletin there, you can follow along with that. But here's what I want you to walk away with today. One, love focuses the attention on the other person. This is how you know you're being transformed by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is that you, don't, you can somehow have these moments in life where you get out of your own self-love. And you focus on the other person. The other person becomes transcendently more important than you. That's how you know you're walking in the love of Jesus. Because to just love yourself, there's a term for that. It's called narcissism. And that's not part of the Gospel. The second point is faith. Believing that God looks at us with the eyes of love. And th they were all lined up before we loaded it into the PowerPoint presentation. So just know that they were once all lined up. If you were once somebody looking at, how come this is all like a skewed? Um, faith is believing that God looks at us with eyes of love. When we go through trauma, and we're going to see a woman today who's burying her only son, she's gone through trauma. Okay, You and I, we all will go through trauma in this life. And if you've been through many traumas, part of the fear is knowing there'll be more. Right? That comes with age. But what I see is when people go through trials and traumas in life, 
What sets them apart is whether or not in faith they believe that God still loves them and is treating them in love despite the trial and trauma of their experience. The third thing is Jesus. Jesus came to fix our broken world with a heart that bears our pains and burdens for the purpose of redeeming our lives. So as you walk away knowing that's, that's Jesus' purpose for you. And so, and if you can only remember four words from this sermon, they're in red. Love looks, feels, and acts. And this is what you're going to see Jesus doing. You're going to see Jesus loving by looking, feeling, and acting. Alright, so a funeral procession in Galilee. We have the story that we've read that we see that this young man, he's not a young boy like with Elisha or even Elijah, but this is a young man, and the mother was a widow, and we know this because the first person behind the open casket would have been the relatives, and it was just the widow. It's interesting, we don't even know her name. And Jesus is approaching the town, and so we see um, that the whole town would have been following. This would have been a solemn occasion. And this is one of the reasons why the church of Jesus Christ historically, if you're a member of the church and, a, and someone in your church dies, you go to the funeral. That's where this tradition comes from. I had a friend of mine lament, he's 81, that um, he went to a funeral at his church and uh, only about 25 people came out. And he said, that's kind of sad. Ten years ago, it wasn't quite like that. That more people would have come out. So, one of my duties here at this church is I oversee and officiate our memorial services and our funerals. And so I expect to see your attendance at the next funeral. The status of women in biblical times. The widow was vulnerable. Um, there were some Old, Old Testament instructions given. These are really minor instru instructions. It's like, leave some food on the ground after you harvest and have some money set aside for widows just like you do for the priests. Minimal instructions. But you see the New Testament, you see Paul give charge to Timothy. And it's quite extensive there in chapter 5. There's about six verses about how to care for widows and who widows are. But he says, give proper recognition to widows and to care for them. And then we see what James says is, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So if you're looking to grow spiritually and you're looking to grow in Jesus, do you care about the poor? Do you care about those who don't have fathers? Do you care about those who don't have husbands? And are you trying to keep yourself pure from the evils of this world. Those are good um, measurement sticks. So what has the widow lost? Her husband, her child, her income, her social standing. She's alone. Okay. Now, this is Mary from one of my favorite shows. The real life Michelle Dockery at 33 became a widow. So I put her picture up there to make you realize that all widows don't look like this. Sitting by candlelight, peeling potatoes to have potato soup because that's all they can afford and they wear babushkas on their head. But as you've gone through your trials in life, and you may be sitting there saying, 
gee, I don't know how this sermon applies to me. I'm not a widow. Don't, don't look at this text in such a static manner. Look at it in a dynamic manner. What trials, traumas, afflictions have you gone through that may have led you to ask these kinds of questions that are common to widows? Why is God picking on me? How can I ever survive this? This is not fair. What have I done to deserve this? How could a loving God let this happen? Does God care for me? I mean, this widow was relying on her son to care for her and to provide for her in her later years. There was no social security. There was no pension. So have you ever thought these thoughts? Have you ever felt this way? Then this passage is for you. The Old Testament witness, we know Naomi, her name is a derivative name. right? She says, don't call me pleasant, call me bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life bitter. Being a widow is considered a living death. Now, here's Jesus' steps of compassion in verse 13. The Lord saw her. He had compassion on her. He said, do not weep. Okay, remember what we said. Love looks. Love feels. Love acts. He sees the woman. He feels compassion for her. And he tells her not to weep. Now, notice, we live in a day and age where psychiatrists and psychologists tell us, you can't tell somebody how to feel. You can't tell somebody how to cry or not to cry. Well, Jesus did. And so what you're going to see here is Jesus breaks all the norms. And he breaks all the norms because of his compassion. What is it? To enter sympathetically into another's sorrow and pain. There's actually 13 different words in the Bible that all you'll see the word compassion for. Primarily in the Old Testament, it only describes God. It's kind of like if you read the Old Testament looking for mercy and compassion, it's never applied to a human being. Okay? So compassion focuses on the other person. It shows and feels tenderness. It speaks comfortingly. It it empathizes for the person and it moves towards the other person in love. Now, one of my ministries I oversee is our visitation ministry. And uh, Nathan Anderson um, oversees it particularly and he does a particularly fine job with it. And so let me tell you one thing that is, this is like out of the ministry toolkit here. When you have to go and visit somebody who's in the hospital, here's what you do. You walk into the room, you look at the person in the bed, you walk towards them, you study their condition, and as you study their conditions, they might have tubes in them, whatever, you begin to feel for them. Okay? And you go up to them, you touch their hand, you look them in the eye, and you say, George... I'm so sorry you're here. I've been praying for you. I just wanted to come by and let you know how much I care. Okay, in 10 seconds, you accomplish the entire purpose of the ministry for going and doing visitation. Now, I'm telling you, what Jesus is doing here plays itself out just in this one little way. Think about your marriage. The two of you are facing opposite directions. How does a husband and wife ever come back together? 
They need to turn towards each other. They need to move towards each other in love, speaking comfortingly towards each other, showing each other tenderness, and focusing on the other person. That's how you reconcile a marriage. Do you see how the movements, the actions, and the life of Jesus apply to everything? So, here's how you need to apply this to yourself right now, wherever you are, whenever you go through your next trial or conflict. Know that He sees you. He sees your affliction. Was He surprised that this young boy died? No. We believe that Jesus and the Father are sovereign. Now, maybe at that moment Jesus had dispensed of some of His sovereignty, but point is, He's completely sovereign as He sits in the throne today, and so is His Father. So whatever trial or trauma comes your way, God is not surprised by it. He sees you and He sees your affliction, and He has a purpose for you in your affliction, no matter how hard it may be to see that. Do you believe that Jesus feels compassion for you right now where you sit? Do you believe that He is speaking to you not to fear? Right? That's what he said to the woman. He said, don't cry. Why did he tell her not to cry? Because he knew what he was going to do next. And Jesus knows what he's going to do next for you. And he proves this because he sacrificed himself at Calvary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's compassion. Jesus proves his compassion towards you through the ultimate sacrifice. And what does Jesus do? Like He brought the Son to the widow, which we're going to see here, He brings you to the Father. And the Father in heaven calls you Son, calls you daughter, places the Holy Spirit in you so that you can cry out, Daddy, Abba, Father. And then He provides for your needs, just like He's going to provide here for the widow's needs. So Jesus stops the traffic, and He will stop your suffering. Jesus came up to the bier, and the bears stood still. Okay, Now, if you've got 2,000 people behind you and 500 people coming out, and you've got people playing the music, and you've got the mourners, they're all wailing, it's quite the commotion. And you know they're on a time schedule because they've got to get up there, and if you've been to a funeral, you know there's always the guy standing around waiting for this to happen because they want to put the dirt back on and they want to go home and eat dinner, right? So everybody's on a time schedule. Jesus does what you're not supposed to do. He stops the train. Now, if you're going to stop a train like this, what, how are you going to act? You're going to be like, whoa, 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 stop. Hey, hey, time out. How does Jesus do it? He, walked, he, he spoke, he'd just spoken to the widow. And just imagine, you're one of the guys carrying the open casket. You see him going up, don't cry, don't weep. And then he comes over to you and he... Puts the hand right there, down. Do you see how Jesus has power and control in His tenderness and compassion? Now, do you believe that for yourself? Do you believe that when you get yourself into difficult situations, that if you're kind, compassionate, and tender, that you're the one with power, and you're the one who can control the situation? 
How would that help you when you're in conflicted relationships? To put on the compassion of Jesus. Do you see how Jesus does this? Right? And this is what He does. When you open yourself to the compassion of Jesus, He will overturn the norms of your life. And He seeks to interrupt your life with His compassion. The question is, will you let Him? Now, He resuscitates the Son. This is not a resurrection. Why? Because this guy dies again. So, He does this for Jairus' daughter. He does it for his friend Lazarus. Peter does it for Dorcas. What a terrible name. And Paul does it for Eutychus. Just had to throw that in there. And in some ways you could say if you're an existential, atheistic, materialist, well that's kind of cruel, making someone die twice. I don't think these people felt that way at all. What's the purpose of resuscitation? To point the miracle of Jesus. That He has the power and control over life and death. And the resuscitation points us to what's coming which is the resurrection. And so here's the question for us, is this. All the people that get resuscitated are people of non-consequence. You know, he doesn't go and resuscitate Caesar's kid. That would have been a big deal, or an important person. But you see, he cares for everybody. He cares for people like us. And so he offers his compassion to all of us. And do you believe in that, that His resurrection, He will resurrect you and bring you to heaven with Him and give you eternal life, which is the most pleasant place of all. It's the true name. So it points to resurrection. And this is why Paul says, do not be uninformed about those who sleep in death. I mean, he kind of says this like it's a matter of fact. So that you do not grieve. And see, what's Paul's concern? Is, is speak to you compassionately. Don't grieve. Don't cry. Now, when your loved one dies, you will cry. But he's trying to say that you don't have to cry with uncontrollable fears and, and out of control. Like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We have this hope. right? Jesus is resurrected from the dead. We who are still alive are left and will be caught up together and to meet Him in the clouds. Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this glorious? Doesn't that allow you to leave here and to know that when you know of somebody who passes away, that there's a greater glory for that person and for you? You don't need to fear death. Went too far. So how did they respond? They, they respond as much as they could without the Holy Spirit. Right? Even his disciples at this time are clueless that he's the Messiah and the very Son of God because the Holy Spirit hadn't been given, which is not given until Acts 2, right? And so the best they could say is, a prophet's among us and God has been here. We've waited 800 years for this. But they did the right thing. They worship because the Lord's loving kindness, His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Do you believe that every morning the compassion of God is towards you? His favor is on you. They are new every morning. And so, that's why we worship every Sunday. Because we are the people of God who has experienced the mercy and the compassion of God. And when we come together, we celebrate and worship.
And then we tell others about Christ's compassion. Isn't it interesting? The first thing they do is they start telling everybody about Jesus and His compassion and His miracle and His healing. You know, it's one of the amazing things is being here at CBC is I've seen widows speak so powerfully about the transforming love of Jesus when they're saying goodbye to their husbands that the unbelievers who come out to the funerals tell us all they're floored. They, they are touched. They can tell that there is something different about the life that has been touched by the compassion of Jesus that they don't have. Because even in the midst of the believer's trial and suffering, they still speak of God's goodness. How is this possible? The Gospel. Titus 3 tells us this about the Gospel. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Look at those words there, people. Goodness, loving kindness, mercy. Compassion. The eternal compassion of God is on you and for you in sending the Lord Jesus to save us. Not by anything good that you did. He didn't look down and say, gee, that Dave Munsinger, what a great guy he is. He belongs in heaven. He did not say that. He did not say that about you. But by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, so that when the believer puts his trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit enters and regenerates, makes us new. And our, our daily experience walking in the Holy Spirit is a renewal. He renews us. And this has been poured out richly through Christ so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Resurrection. So this, this text here, the widow of Nain, the way to properly understand it is a microcosm in the macrocosm of the salvation of God. That it's, as, as one of my favorite preachers of the 19th century, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, he wrote a book on it, it's all of grace. It's all of grace. So, here's the thing. You cannot be compassionate yourself unless you have received the mercy of God by faith. And you live it out. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. She said, whether you're in a land of plenty or a land of poverty, you still have the same problem. Maybe they're starved for bread in Africa, but you are starved for love in the United States. And then she completely destroyed the room in 1994, pointed her finger at Bill Clinton. My wife was present for this. You can see it on YouTube. And said, President Clinton, your problem is America does not love your unborn babies. Give me your babies. I will love them. That's compassion. That is a life transformed by the compassion of Christ. Let us be people like that. That inspires me. Here's what one commentator, Paul Tripp, says. Because of sin, fall, death, we live in a world where no amount of following the rules and doing the right things will suffice. So stop it. Now, still be a good person and do the right things, okay? Please obey the speed limits. But if you think that's going to make everything right in your life, it's not. Jesus' miracle, grace, and resurrection all prove what humanity needs is grace and compassion. The gospel-centered life seeks to be an agent of grace and compassion to others. So orient yourself, because you're a recipient of God's grace and His compassion 
you now become a standard bearer to others around you as an instrument of grace and compassion. How do we do this? We actively believe the gospel ourselves. We show the world that Christ changes lives, most importantly yours, and that Christ and His church cares for the world. That's what the compassion of the church does. It communicates these intrinsic values of the gospel. Now, how do you do this? Well, it's really rough. Daily you need to receive God's mercy. Seek opportunities. You see, I put the serve desk. It's right out there. If you want to have opportunities to serve people in compassion, boy, do we have a list for you. There's no lack of opportunities to show the compassion of God towards others. But here's, the, here's where it will really get you. When you orient yourself to be compassionate, you will have to be compassionate to those unlike you, the worst of all, annoying people, the needy and the vulnerable, and most likely your family and your neighbors. Now, I mentioned to you my friend who wrote this book, Love Walks Among Us. He says, the widow of Nain story reflects the whole pattern of Jesus' life. He looks at us, he feels compassion, and acts by giving his life on the cross for us. This is the gospel. Sometimes Jesus' death on the cross seems abstract. But by connecting it with his life, we flesh out the gospel and see how concrete God's love is for us. Through Jesus, God looks at us, feels our pain, and acts for us. We are not alone. Jesus is the God of perfect and true compassion. Will you receive this? As we close, I want to let you know that we do have a widow's ministry. It's called Solo Sisters. It's a beautiful ministry. They have tea together once a month, and they have a speaker, and they fellowship with one another. We also have funds set aside for them, and that's called the Benevolence Fund. You can give to the Benevolence Fund all year long, and it helps people who are in distress. Remember what James said? You care for the orphan, you care for the widows. And so you just have to mark, if you want to do it during this season, Christmas blessings during the year, you can give a check to our Benevolence Fund. We have a team that will pray with people and hold people spiritually accountable. Here's one other practical how-to. We're good engineers and Bible church people. How do you walk in compassion? Pray. Look at the person. Visit the person. Inquire. You know, it's amazing to just listen when you ask people questions, what they will tell you if you just ask them. Then pray for them. And then act. Seek how you can do tangible good works for them. This is how you live out the Lord Jesus' ministry there to the widow of Nain. And once again, our main points. Love looks, feels, and acts. Now here's what I want to end with. Love doesn't just walk among us, Jesus walks among us. And we're about to take communion. And you all know this Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 13. It's read at almost every wedding that you go to. But you see, I've replaced a word. The word that's typically in there is love. But I put Jesus in there because Jesus is love. So here's what I want you to do. I want this to be responsive reading. And then we're going to come to the communion table and I'd like to ask the ushers and the deacons to come forward. And as they're coming forward, we're going to say this really slow. 
Okay, and so we're going to pause and we're going to think about it. Matter of fact, tell you what, I'm going to say the phrase, you repeat it back to me. That's called responsive reading. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Amen? Let us prepare our hearts.